Hello and welcome once again to episode 55 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So today, uh, before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. Uh, we are checking out Quiet by Sun Adayemi, a team messaging app for iPhone and iPad. So Quiet, that's spelled K-W-A-Y-E-T. It took me a while to realize, I was just, oh, this is just Quiet. I was like, how am I going to pronounce this? But it's, it's super easy. Uh, it's just Quiet. Uh, it brings private messaging, calls, meetings, group chats, and your front desk all together in a streamlined interface so you can focus on collaborating together and getting work done. That's why it's Quiet. Uh, best of all, Quiet is cloud-based but privacy-focused and doesn't even need a phone number to sign up. So Quiet is free to try, so please be sure to support soon and check it out today. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. Uh, so we've finally both gotten our dream machines, or at least I've gotten my dream machine. I don't know about you if you're happy with yours, but that's what today's episode is all about. So uh, it's time for our reviews. Spencer, do you want to start with your setup? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I didn't, I didn't buy the, the Mac. It was, um, luckily work bought it for me. So that was nice to not have to drop all that money. Myself. A good investment. <laughs> yeah, it was a good investment. Yeah. That, um, I, I'm sure we'll bring it up, um, in a few minutes, but that, that tweet about the, um, amount of money that those Android developers will save just in compile times is insane. So I think a lot of people are really, really happy with the way that these all turn out, all things considered. I think the most controversial thing is the notch, which is, I mean, not really that controversial, I think. I, people are going to get over it is what I mean, just like they did with the iPhone. So um, anyway, um, yeah, so work bought me like uh, a baller <laughs> M1 Max, uh, 64 gig of RAM um, machine. I got the 14-inch model. Um, ever since I bought my M1 MacBook Air, I've just loved the smaller size. And a lot of times I end up docking it and using it in clamshell mode anyway. So, um, when I do need the screen, it, you know, it's not a huge deal, but every time I would mm -hmm. pull out my 16 inch MacBook Pro, my previous one, it's just absolutely, it's an absolute unit. So, uh, <laughs> I decided to go for the smaller one, um, and it's been really interesting. I've only had it for um, two and a half days now, one and a half days, something like that. So haven't, you know, had a whole lot of time with it. But one thing I have noticed is just, uh, of course, like compile speeds, but even things like um, code completion, right? Like autocomplete, that little window pulls mm -hmm. up so fast. And I thought it was fine before, but now it's just instant. Uh, and that's been really nice where you'll actually get those like um, Xcode 13 or whatever we're on, you know, uh, autocomplete of like guardlet statements and stuff. Whereas on my other MacBook Pro, it wouldn't load fast enough and I would just end up writing it myself. So the small things really have been um, the most notable, noticeable for me, if that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but uh, that's that's been like so far my very quick couple day highlight of, of uh, my new my new machine. Well, it's it's funny on a show called Code Completion, you bring up Code Completion being the thing that had the biggest impact. <laughs> I know, right? For you. Um, and totally not planned. Um, 
But yeah, I, I basically echo everything that you said. I think I got mine a few days earlier than you. Mm-hmm. Like its uptime is at like four days uh, as opposed to two. Um, and I love this machine. So you can kind of yeah. see it if you're watching the video version of this. You can see it in the background. I'm not actually using my setup. Uh, I'm still on the iMac that I'm used to recording on because it works. I <laughs> attempt to get that working. Um but for everything that I'm putting this computer through its paces with, like it's working beautifully. So um, I also got a 64 gigabyte uh, M1 Max model. Um, I went with the 16 inch because this is primarily going to be a desktop computer for me. Um, I was not planning on buying a MacBook Pro until Apple said how amazing <laughs> pros yeah. were um, i was holding out like in in all honesty i was holding out for an updated uh intel mac pro um like i i wasn't comfortable buying two-year-old chips but if they if they put the the latest xeons in there i would have been fine with that um as an upgrade computer for me just because i needed something where i could put more ram into i could like have it do more than most of the other Macs that Apple has. Um, I, I shared this on Twitter, but I want a lot of space for like what I'm working on because it helps me to kind of scatterbrain and put like everything that I'm working on in front of me. And that is what helps me stay organized in a way. If I put mm-hmm. something away, it's out of mind and I'm going to forget about it and never think about it again. But if I have space to actually lay things out and actually visually organize stuff, that's really helpful to me. So uh, this is the first computer that I have that can drive like three high resolution displays along right. with its own internal monitor. Um, so I went with the 16 inch because it's going to stay on the desk. I'm never unplugging mm-hmm. it. Like I wouldn't want to use it without the monitors. <laughs> like I, I have anxiety about reorienting windows and I'll get into that in a little <laughs> bit uh, later. But uh, I like things where I leave them and just unplugging a computer like destroys that um, on modern Mac OS. So uh, that's a that's a big problem for me. But uh, if this is just staying on the desk permanently, then it's not altogether that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that works quite well for me. So I have a main Pro Display XDR in the middle, and then two LG 5Ks as like wings um, on the side. Uh, and the really nice thing about the LG 5Ks is their like regular vertical resolution is actually quite large. Um, so you actually do have a lot of space, even if you use it as a vertical display, and that's really been uh, really nice so far. Nice. That's yeah. I I mean, kind of off topic from the actual machines themselves, but I agree with the space thing. I mean, that's why I I was hunting for you know the perfect setup for me for a long time, and like, I think I've mentioned before, but my eyesight isn't great, so I can't really see anything past like fourteen forty p even you know, a couple feet away. And so I ended up having two ultra wides and then two ultra wides plus a 27 inch other monitor. And it just ended up being like, I mean, my field of view of monitors was almost 180 degrees. And then I found <laughs> this super ultra wide. And that's like where it's been basically what you're saying, where you can have everything you want open at once and things mm-hmm. are minimized and stuff in the dock or whatever. And that, uh, that's super annoying to me. So uh, I totally get that. And yeah, putting codes you... side by side and yes. like have have it not be limited in terms of line length is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Being able, I mean, I'm doing something right now where I'm making a new Swift file, um, but I'm I'm sort of combining two 
um, classes together. Um, anyway, it kind of a, kind of a whole thing, but I'm able to pull all three classes up at once with a fair amount of, of real estate for both where the code isn't squished or anything. So super nice um, for that kind of stuff. So um, one interesting thing, and uh, I've, I've had these issues with my M1 Mac, and my, my MacBook Air, and I was hoping that um, it would get fixed with the updated chips was like display issues in general. And, you know, I mean, I can't really fault myself for not using like an Apple approved monitor, I guess. I mean, this is like the weirdest, you know, aspect ratio and stuff. But um, I have tried many, many cables, DisplayPort cables specifically to uh, drive this display. And sometimes I'll get flickering or just very weird artifacts and stuff. And so I, I think I have a cable right now that works okay. But um, yeah, the the um, the Apple Silicon Macs have been not awesome for my display uh, in general, which is interesting to say the least. You kind of have to rejigger the cable and, uh, you know, just <laughs> hope that it works. And so when I unplug it and replug it in, then I have to do the same thing over and over again. So... Mm-hmm. That's that's I think my biggest pain point, but it's not specific to the new MacBook Pro by any means. It happens on my MacBook Air as well. Mm-hmm. I want I wonder if that really is related to the cables because um, on my setup, the Pro Display XDR came with like a fancy braided cable that Apple. Uh, it's like two hundred dollars if you buy it alone. It's insane. Oh. Uh, and then one of the five Ks, its cable that it came with like died. Like it stopped working reliably, so mm-hmm. I got a the smaller. Um, I had laying around a smaller Thunderbolt three uh, cable, also by Apple, which is like fifty bucks. Yeah. Again, not cheap, but it feels hefty. It feels like mm-hmm. a good quality Thunderbolt cable, um, which you want when you're driving that many pixels. Uh, and the leftmost one, so that one that's that you can actually see, um, that one is still using the original LG cable, um, which is a Thunderbolt three cable, two meters, I think. Uh, but every time the cat like walks over that part of the desk, um, the monitor disconnects and oh. it like it reconnects immediately afterwards. But any little jiggling uh, is enough for that to not be a stable connection. So um, as you said, it might just be the cable that there is one faulty connection that arcs a tiny little bit as it moves ever so slightly. And that might be enough to... Uh, prevent it from like actively getting a connection. What I was going to say though, is I was watching um, Marques Brownlee's review of the M1 mm-hmm. Max. Uh, I think it came out today or, yep. or I saw it yesterday. It was fantastic. And he, he brought up that he was, I think it was during a Final Cut Pro export that the M1 Max MacBook Pro uh, exported faster than his 50,028 50, core Mac Pro with an afterburner card by like 30 seconds or something. It was something like, um, with turbo mode on, it ended up being like five and a half minutes or something, and the, the Mac Pro ended up being in the six-minute range, which is just bonkers that these are faster than a $50,000 Intel machine. So It's faster than a car. <laughs> that's what a, that's what a very expensive car costs and it's faster than that and For i know real, like though. way more expensive cars exist i'm base landing it on my like twenty three thousand dollar civic yeah uh, anything more expensive than that is an expensive car i mean hey you can um, buy a model three with that much money mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, and this is faster than that. Not in terms of like its ability to move. It ain't moving. It's staying, staying put. Uh, but in terms of what it can do, it really is an amazing little chip that Apple put together. Um, and you can kind of see this across most reviews. Um, they basically said like the fans will not turn on if they don't need to. And like this is an audible difference when they need to like turn on and you hear a slow little whisper of what you might just be used to. Um, but it's uncanny getting used to not hearing that if you've used an M1 MacBook Air, for instance. It's like utter silence because there's no moving parts in it. Um, and that is a very different experience than a lot of people are used to. Yeah, I mean, my, me, myself, I've been using this MacBook Pro for the year that I've been at, the, at, at this current job. And before I had almost the same MacBook Pro, just, you know, the... Um, 2018 2019 models and every day doing anything loading up mac os even you kick the fans on so it's been <laughs> very weird and really uncanny uh to just not hear it and i'll hear you know other parts of my house that i'm like i've never heard this before because i've always been used to the fan going uh -huh. so uh-huh mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so uh it, it's been cool i am i mean it I don't runs know. cool yeah it runs cool. It's, you know, I'll put my, I've got it um, docked clamshell mode, but the uh, the vent is facing me and I'll just kind of put my hand there. There's a little heat coming out of it, but it's nowhere near the amount uh, that would be on the Intel machine. So it's just insane. The, the power efficiency and, you know, I, one of the first things I did before I kind of loaded everything up was I, I pulled up Geekbench and benchmarked it myself just for fun because i like to kind of have that record and it just smoked every you know other if your computer. chip is not a lemon right yeah <laughs> i don't dare just... do that <laughs> no <laughs> it's i don't know it's fun i enjoy it but it just absolutely smoked by like hundreds and hundreds of points on the single core score uh and you know crushed on the on the multi-core score so it's it's a beast it's awesome uh obviously everyone's been looking forward to something like this uh and i think apple really delivered and that's super exciting to be showing up intel where like this is like their real i i don't know i consider this like the first real mm -hmm. apple silicon macbook Attempt. pro where mm -hmm. you know the m1 macbook pro it, it's the same as the macbook air essentially with fans but this is just insane so from here uh pretty exciting to see what will be next and you know uh, we've talked about like the j4c dies and everything and it's interesting how they've made m1 pro and m1 max and just said oh hey let's glue on twice the gpu cores so i feel like there's really no reason that uh, that won't continue with both CPU and GPU cores. It sounds like that's a very um, scalable architecture, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And for those wondering on Geekbench results, so if you have been paying attention, it seems like the M1 Max with 32 cores does not have double the performance as the 16-core mm. M1 Pro, which does have double the performance as uh, the M1 in terms of graphics uh, and metal performance on Geekbench specifically. And this seems to be a limitation of the Geekbench benchmark where it does not get the machine into high enough gear for it to actually spin up that fast. Um, yeah. So you actually have to put it under a sustained load for it to activate everything. Otherwise, it's going to be like, yeah, you finished your task really quickly and I did what I can. It's only been a few seconds <laughs> or whatever. No, 
For real um, though, it um when I run it, you, whenever you run Geekbench, it'll say something like, "This may take for anywhere from two to twenty minutes, depending on you know your machine mm-hmm. and stuff." And it was well under two minutes for both the CPU and GPU tests. So yeah, that's a problem it, it when just, you want to actually like test uh, something yeah. out and see how well it does. Um, if it does not take a while to do something you're not going to get a good representative answer of how long it takes to do something yeah Um, they definitely need to render something a lot uh, larger or well it goes through a a kind of a suite of tests and stuff but for the gpu they could do we've we've talked about this in slack i don't know if we've talked about it on the show but something like a blender render where you know traditionally they can take 20 minutes for some of these benchmark um renders that they have that would be a much better uh, way of, of determining the actual M1 Max uh, speed. Mm-hmm. And on the topic of Blender, um, I am keeping up with like the development effort mm. there to get uh, the GPU rendering for the Cycles rendering engine available on the Mac. Like Obviously, Blender uses the GPU to render the main viewport and stuff like that, but to actually get a ray-traced result um, mm-hmm. that is CPU only for the time being, um, on the Mac and Apple is actually lending engineers to uh, the Blender Federation. Is that what they call themselves? Um, to actually implement the metal support. Um, and the first commit came in like last week where they basically went through all the shaders and uh, put a bunch of uh, macros where they needed to be. So that way these shaders could be cross-platform because lo and behold, you it's impossible to have to like truly cross-platform code. You need a you need to set up an abstraction layer if you ever want to get things uh, to be working across many platforms. Um, So this was the initial work to set up that um, first translation layer, if you will. Um, And then the second one to actually get the metal device uh, connected, that one landed like a day ago. Um, Hmm. And it is probably going to be in review within the next few days. Um, So this is not something that's going to happen right away in terms of getting Blender support. Um, but it seems like it is planned for version 3.1 when that eventually does release um, in the hopefully not too distant future. That's exciting. Um, but you did mention uh, the uh, Jade 4C die and the mm-hmm. Jade 2C die. Um, and as a quick uh, recap of what that was, um, back in early this year, <laughs> I'm not going to remember the month, April, I think it might have been. Um, there was uh, some leaks that basically uh, outlined Apple's pl- Apple's Apple Silicon plans uh, for their Pro machines, and you had the M1 on there, and then you had uh, Jade C die mm-hmm. cut, which was the M1 Pro, and Jade C die, which was the M1 Max. Um, they also had two other chips, uh, Jade 2C die uh, and Jade 4C die. And John Syracuse of ATP made a wonderful chart that kind of outlines what this could look like. With these new chips, whether they're going to be chiplets or like one actual die that's going to be ginormous, um, I think some rough like napkin calculation put it at if you were to have four times the surface area of the M1 Max, what this would cost if it were like a single die. And it would be in the few thousand dollar range. Um, and this accounts for having margins that Apple is accustomed to and everything. So you can expect like this to be a $5,000 chip, for instance, if it were one chip. 
Um, if it is four separate chips, that is a completely different calculus. You're going to be looking at the 800 or so dollars for the upgrade. That's probably going to be what it is going to be times four. Um, if you wanted to do some back of the envelope calculations. Um, and what's really interesting about uh, this possibility is if you take a look at the M1 Max, it has about 400 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth available to it, which is right up there with high-end GPUs. Um, like, yes, there are GPUs with more than that, but not significantly more. Um, but if you take this chip and you multiply it by four, um, and if they multiply everything by four, you can easily see this gaining like pretty amazing uh, memory bandwidth um, and uh, pipelines available from the GPU to memory that have just been unheard of. Um, so it's going to be really fascinating to see how Apple prepares this chip, if it's just going to be one chip or if it's going to be multiple that are kind of have a similar fabric in between all of them. Um, and see how that all comes together. Because if there ends up being a chip with 1.6 terabytes of memory throughput uh, per second, that is going to really unseat the competition in a way that they are probably not comfortable with, much like Apple is currently unseating um, <laughs> like Intel and AMD on the CPU side. Like Their CPU just takes 30 watts maximum. That's it. Um, and it is performing as well as a desktop cpu yeah but it's using nothing in terms of like power meanwhile intel just came out with their alder lake that smokes the competition and gets <laughs> yeah about a third better performance than uh, apple's m1 max but it also uses 250 watts of power yep. um and that's not something that can ever fit in a laptop um and it's also not something that has the ancillary compute engines that apple is slowly adding uh including this really beefy gpu that is way bigger than the cpu if you look at the die shot um and it is the majority of this chip so what we're really dealing with is a gpu with a cpu with an integrated <laughs> cpu um, if you want to think about it that way that's what <laughs> apple system on a chip is uh it's that kind of monster uh that we're dealing with so it's gonna be really really cool to see how apple's going to make use of this because most apps aren't going to make use of um like 100 or 200 gigabytes per second of memory throughput because they're not expecting it um so it, like just imagine 1.6 terabytes that's going to be a bit insane um and probably really expensive in terms of memory like who knows if that kind of memory can even be socketed uh if you're going to go with that because yeah. like gpu memory is not socketed it is soldered onto the board because you need it as close as possible to um, the the electronics that are using that memory. Like, it can't be far apart. Um, so it's going to be a paradigm shift, that's for sure. Yeah. And like you said, like, most apps probably aren't going to use it. And Marques Brownlee in that video, he said basically the same thing even with the M1 Max and uh, well, probably more with the M1 Max. I can't remember you just meant for both of these machines or not but he said you probably don't need this machine if you're just you know doing content conception it's more yeah it's for, a tool it's a tool exactly yeah that's what he said it was it was great and he you know if you're doing content creation you're doing development you you are doing something that merits this sure it's very much i think like the the 2019 mac pro was kind of positioned where it's it's a pro level machine in reality, not just 
with the pro moniker that they'll put on their iPhones, for example, it's very much kind of at that level where uh, unless you've just got a crap ton of money and you just <laughs> want to get the best thing, you probably don't need it. So, uh, you know, as as great as it is, I again, and I think Dimitri as well, we've been very happy with our M1 machines just as like mm-hmm. whatever machines, right? Uh, even development has been pretty okay. And the M1 Max has been awesome. Uh, but if I'm just watching YouTube or anything else that isn't, you know, development, then my M1 MacBook Air has been great and it was $900 so yeah and I won't even I won't even open YouTube on a computer uh because I am so used to like using that on an Intel machine and YouTube will bring down my machine uh for whatever reason maybe I have too much other stuff <laughs> open and that's the that's the tipping point perhaps um but I I've gone so used to doing a lot of these ancillary tasks that are not part of my job on an iPad on a phone and mm-hmm. that is really my toy device. Like, I get a phone every year. Yes, so I have a device for testing. That's what I tell myself. Um, but it's just because I like technology. Um, mm-hmm. But you can't really motivate that same thing with a $5,000 computer, which is what I paid for mine. Um, like, that came straight out of my top pocket. But the 16-inch MacBook Pro, the Intel MacBook Pro that I was using was unusable for me. Like, there's yeah. something about the amount of Xcode projects I had to have open simultaneously um, that are some running simulators, some not running simulators, and the amount of Safari windows I had open for active research I'm doing, trying to solve the problems that I need to solve, um, that I ended up with a system that could barely function. Like, the mouse would lag. Typing was something (laughs) where I would think about what I wanted to say first, and then I type blindly. Um, and thankfully I've gotten quite good at this as long as I pay attention to what I'm like typing with my fingers on the keyboard because staring at the monitor won't help. Like that's going to be a second before the first characters start coming in. So I gotten used to like the worst possible case of not having a usable system to do what I need to do. And it's really amazing having something that can keep up with me. And I think I've said this before, but it's really important that technology and these tools keep up with you like you are not the slowest you should be the slowest factor not the other way around um and i think i don't remember if it was mkbhd or if it was uh someone else who said this um i think it was renee ritchie he said that he had to give up before the battery gave out of his computer like he was just using final cut pro all day and mm-hmm. he gave up because he was tired. And he said, okay, I'm done working for the day. Uh, and he tapped out, but the computer was still like available and ready for him to do more work. Um, and that's that's really something that we're finally at the point where we have systems that are no longer like waiting for, are, are now waiting for us rather than us waiting on them to kind of get what work we need to get done like the famous xkc i'm not fooling around i'm my code's compiling um (laughs) like that it's not even my code's compiling my code's auto-completing um and i'm waiting for the window to stop giving me the spinning beach ball of doom uh so that way i can know like what on earth i was even thinking about typing because if you've done any amount of objective c or swift development the methods are long you don't memorize the methods you memorize like an index of the potential methods that you might want to use and you rely on code completion to kind of get you there. Um, and 
as you said, it's that little thing is enough to make you productive or not. Because once you lose track of what you were trying to do, then you go on Twitter because you're yeah. like bored waiting for your thing. And then you just completely put off whatever effort you're trying to do onto the the next day. Like you gave up for the day almost. Um, and that's what it felt like using a computer up until now. Um, and I, I, I know I'm rambling at this point, but I really feel like it was due to like the current version of macOS that just gets a little bit sloppier every year. And you get to the point where you can no longer do things that you got used to doing. Like I was used to having tons of Safari windows open on a G3 iBook. Like this is, <laughs> yeah. they didn't call them MacBooks yet. Um, and this is like before Intel. It was just something I was used to doing. Like the system handled it fine of having yeah. a ton of windows open because guess what? All those windows were not necessarily doing a ton. They were not separate processes. They weren't running into any sort of resource limitations because they had to work on a G3 iBook. Um, and like that's what I got used to. And as computers got better, the software almost got worse to the point where I could no longer like sustain that same kind of work habit. And that is kind of unfortunate for me because I was then unable to work as efficiently as I could. Um, and I, I am hopeful that those days are behind me. That's, I guess, is the long way around my, my spiel. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it's interesting that you bring it up because I think it, coming from when I started learning programming and iOS development specifically and knowing a little bit of how it used to be done and in macOS development, you know, uh, with manual reference counting and being very judicious about your memory and resource usage. Uh, I think we, especially me, it's so much of an afterthought that unless I run into, I see like I'm using a ton of memory where, I don't know, I have some just recursive loop or whatever that's just eating up memory i don't think about it and that's it's really mm -hmm. nice but i think that's also probably part of the issue where um whether it's app developers or maybe web developers in your case where they're just using a bunch of javascript crap in the background to do whatever analytics they want uh it's just eating a bunch of resources as well so or just safari the fact that everything or needs safari. to run in a separate process means you need to duplicate effort per process you know that slowly eats into resource limitations. I remember on this iMac that I'm using, this iMac works great for the most part. However, I would reach limitations where I either have too many Safari windows open or one too many Xcode projects. I'm talking about three, okay? Um, <laughs> and an Xcode project is run in a Git repository, and a Git repository ends up having a lot of files that shuffle around. So if you're switching branches, you're opening and closing tons of files. So this is mm -hmm. what the computer is dealing with. And the symptom that I would see weekly, I launch an app that was closed because I realized that my habits are not good for the computer. So I'm like closing stuff I don't need, right? So I, I launch up TextMate um, to do an ancillary text editing thing. Um, and it bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces. And do you know what will make it stop bouncing? Closing a Safari window. Maybe two. Or closing an Xcode project will instantly make it stop bouncing. Like there's some thing mm. that is preventing the system from making progress and it's just waiting for a resource to free up. 
And it's not because it's out of RAM. There's 64 gigabytes of RAM on this computer. Um, and for the most part, only about 70% of it is in use at any given moment in time. So, like, what is it then that is causing those kinds of problems? I don't know, you know? Like, it's it's something that's gone worse over time, um, especially as they try to make the system more efficient so it swaps less. I liked swap. Swap worked fine. You get used to a little bit of slowdown and everything is a little bit slower, but things don't stop working, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, as we were recording this, my audio just decided to start giving yeah. out and give us a bunch of static. So you might hear some static early on in the episode. We ignored some of it, but then it got to an unbearable point. And that's just a regular occurrence for me. I need to now kill core audio demon. That is right. just something that I needed to do on a daily basis. And that is frustrating to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I agree that I think maybe we're at the point where the computer can keep up with us even with all of all of Mac OS's shortcomings and everything. And that's cool to not uh I guess get out of that like flow or zone, right? Like where you, like you said, you're you're the slowest thing. And so you can go as fast as you should be. We're like, we're humans. We should be the slowest thing. Like we're not calculators. Yes, exactly. When, when the computer is doing literally trillions of, you know, operations a second or whatever, uh, that's amazing. And if it just gets hung up on giving me my autocomplete, then (laughs) that's, that's a bummer. And like you said, it takes you out and then you're like, oh, okay, well I'll check Twitter or whatever. And it's just a bummer. So having, having your tool be faster than you are, I think is a huge thing to kind of make it the most frictionless setup that you can. And to me, um, if I was doing freelance work or whatever, and I, I didn't have a, a job that would just buy this for me, I would most definitely uh, do it, you know, in my position. Uh, because that just even these last two days or so have been so nice. And it's it really has, I think, been a, a great way for me to stay on task and get more done. So mm-hmm. uh, that's super cool. I mean, compile times and everything aside. So, yeah, for the most part, like people like to bring up compile times. Like, oh, compiling takes a ton of time. No, it doesn't. But like, no. Generally speaking, yeah. you change one line, and never the thing the starts compiling. Folder. Yeah. Uh, like every yeah. now and then, yes, you need a you need a sure. wipe drive data um, and make things better. Generally speaking, though, you really don't like it's oftentimes your fault that something is not working. It's not the fact that you have uh, stale build products. Um, And yes, sometimes stale build products do creep in and clearing out the build folder does make things work again. But a lot of times it doesn't. And it's just like one of the things we generally try, you know? Yeah, I really honestly haven't noticed build times as again, as much as like the autocomplete. For me, personally. Or waiting for the simulator to launch. Like, that is a tangible thing that just takes forever and has nothing to do with build times. Um, So, uh, and even on large projects where you have tons of dependencies, like, yes, the first build takes a little bit. But you're not hard at work solving your problem during the first build. You've done the first build just to see if things still build. Um, And that's that's the step one of like walking up to the computer is like am i gonna get any work to today is does thing <laughs> do things compile uh yeah. command b just make sure sanity check um if that's gonna go um mm. but like waiting for the simulator which you need to do to wait for live previews to launch 
like that is something that takes a long time and even that just being ever so slightly faster um or in the case of the m1 max and the m1 pro like nearly twice as fast as the m1 um and the m1 was already many times faster than any intel machine because the simulator is running on native hardware at that point um not that it wasn't on intel but it was optimized for um Mm -hmm. arm um and that kind of ecosystem so that those like death by thousand cuts have like slowly been removed or not slowly they've been instantly been removed and that is such a refreshing gust of like fresh air i think um that i'm very very happy for like even just the 16 gigabyte like ram limitation of the m1 is something i felt every few days because Mm -hmm. i have a lot of things open in safari for instance um and that is not going to change like whether i'm on one computer or not another um i think my icloud is kind of cursed uh, that if I log into a computer, which is like one window, Safari is like freaking out a little bit because it's like, you have 500 million, 200 uh, iCloud tabs open on your 17 other computers. <laughs> um, like, I have a feeling that happens. And uh, ironically enough, Mail has a bug where on Monterey, like it will just gobble up memory. And I know better. I have not launched Mail <laughs> <laughs> new computer yet <laughs> because idea. if if you follow me on twitter you'll know that i have sixty two thousand something unread emails and that is just the unread ones uh so there's a lot of email for that poor little app to kind of digest and if there's a bug where it's gonna leak memory that's gonna be an issue um yeah but with 64 gigabytes like i was so happy to see an iset menus no swap and like 400 megabytes free and some compressed as soon as the free started like getting dangerously close to zero uh the compressed bar kind of grew as a result of that so things are like managing just fine um and i am super 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 happy of it by it yep about it it's exciting to think about what the next iteration will be i mean i'm thinking like this is going to be one of the most future-proof laptops for a long time but like maybe not maybe it's you know, we, we see some gnarly upgrade, uh, even next generation. I don't know. Uh, pretty cool. I saw the Apple's uh, reportedly already working on like a four nanometer process. So they're already shrinking uh, transistor size and everything. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to. So that actually kind of scares me. So let's, let's take this as like a little mini topic. Right. You suddenly give a bunch of people really 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 fast machines what do you think happens as a result they expect faster not only do they expect faster they get used to that speed right so sure. whatever they're developing they're testing on their really really fast machine um and as that goes to other people they end up with a slower experience if they're not on the really fast thing um so what we might think is really fast today as you said, it's only the tip of the iceberg in terms of Apple's potential, right? Um, especially, like, these are just rumor, basically confirmed rumors at this point that they have something yeah. that's just four times as good as this. Um, it's not four times faster on single core. It's just four times faster on multi-core, on GPU, on memory, right. bandwidth. Like, you just take four of them, basically. It scales easily. They have the thermal headroom. 
obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and it's not even like overclocking. We have no idea what kind of potential there is there um, to get something faster if you just crank up the speed on um, on the accelerator, if you will. Um, so, what we have ended up with as an industry is people that got used to something that was reasonably good um, and something that, like, I would never have experience if i did not decide to go into iphone development like i don't know 15 years ago now um is the constraint of having something that is not as fast as what you're working with because what we've gone used to is something that is so fast that we don't have to think about performance generally at all anymore but a result of that is that we don't think about performance at all anymore (laughs) <laughs> um, and that's a big problem because, like, the fact that Xcode is slow at all, that's an issue for people that do the kind of work that we do, right? Um, mm-hmm. You see everyone gu- gushing about how Final Cut Pro has always been fast on no matter anything. Um, it will kind of adapt to make your workflow work. If you have super high-resolution footage, it's going to make proxy footage so that way you can work fast. Um, right. There's nothing like that for Xcode, really. If your computer's too slow to autocomplete, your computer's too slow to autocomplete. It's not going to use a simpler indexing algorithm to kind of get you results faster um, for your use case. And if there was never an iPhone that I had to kind of develop against, and I'm talking about the very first iPhone, the painfully slow one, then I would have never learned how to care about performance in a way that might seem negligible now like everyone is always on about how um you should never um what's what's that phrase that you should never go about and like uh tune for performance unless like there's a need for it like premature optimization is the root of all evil basically right um and there is some truth to that but I think that that is something that as a junior, you should totally be okay with. Like, you should not stress those details at that point in your career. You should concentrate on getting good at being a problem solver and solving problems. Mm -hmm. But at year three, four, or five, you need to start thinking about getting better as a developer and prematurely optimizing stuff that probably doesn't need optimization but you are going to save a watt here or there in terms of battery um it's not going to make things faster like you're already well under the frame the frame refresh uh limit for what you're doing so you're not going to have a noticeable performance increase from this but you are going to have a battery life increase from not taxing the system as much you know yeah and there is always a benefit to doing that because the more everyone does that as a whole Kind of like what everyone says, like we're all living on the planet together. The less energy we consume as a whole uh, is better for the planet and the environment in general. Like the planet doesn't care, but everything that lives in the planet cares very much. Um, <laughs> it's like, as George Carlin says, the earth made us for plastic. It just wanted a lot of plastic <laughs> and thus it made humans. Um, so it's, I think it's still an important thing that you as a developer need to practice, especially as you become a senior developer. Um, And just kind of brushing it aside as like, oh, like everything works fine. Um, Even on the slowest device that I'm using today, your software is still going to be used 
for quite a while, and the slowest device that is available today may still be used for another five years. And if things drastically get faster and faster every year from then on, then it's going to be left in the dark. And we've seen this with iOS devices. iOS devices get slower and slower to the point where Apple has been accused of intentionally making them slower so people buy new devices, as if that is a good business practice that you're going to swear buy a company for because they're making your device slower than you're going to buy the new shiny one because (laughs) you care very much about how that company is business, apparently. Um, That's like a good reason. Um, and that's, that's really unfortunate that we've gone to the situation where we don't optimize anymore. Even mm-hmm. if there's nothing measurable to optimize, there's like simple things of uh, like not calling the same property more than once when you can store it in a variable, like nothing's going to me- give you a measurement of how much better that is. Right. But you can take that proactive step. Like, you know, that that property does something in the background cache it you know yeah um the compiler if you're if what you're doing is useless the compiler will make it just as useless don't worry about that but there are certain things that you know that the compiler doesn't that it can't help you with and being able to improve on those aspects i think is a really important thing that's totally fair i mean is it the iphone 6s that still is running ios 15 is that like the lowest that is so so old It is insane. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Uh, to, like, if you do something with SwiftUI, it does not run well on the iPhone success. I, I was just <laughs> going to say, SwiftUI is probably a prime example of mm-hmm. that would... I mean, even on newer phones, I've seen it lag. So on something that old, five years old, uh, yeah, that would be that would be rough. So, mm-hmm. And I hate to poo-poo on, like, different uh, differential data... Diffable data sources... Mm-hmm. Um, like that seems magical. You take two collections and you just compare them and you get results, right? Guess what's faster than that? Knowing what you changed. If you keep track of <laughs> yeah. that, it's going to be more efficient than that. And it's going to work a little bit better. Um, and if you're dealing with a data set that's a thousand things, it's going to still work with 10,000 things because you know exactly where you're inserting things and you're keeping track of that. And yes, right. it's hard. It's not simple stuff to get your head around. It's very confusing once you start having insertions and removals that can happen at the same time. Um, but your users that are on older devices are going to be thankful to you for that, especially, and again, we've been in a state of computing where things have not increased year over year. And things have been relatively slow. However, on mobile, things have been increasing year over mm-hmm. year at a tremendous pace. Um, and we as developers... We got used to that on like, oh, they'll just buy a newer iOS device and things will be fine. But people are not buying new iOS devices. People are still on the iPhone 6S, for instance. Right. And they are updating their OSs. And every now and then Apple goes back and rewrites a significant portion of the OS and makes it better. Like, for instance, uh, if you've noticed that on Catalina, Big Sur and Monterey, the Windows server just seems more smooth. That's because it was rewritten in Metal to take advantage of all those things. And that's especially obvious on the M1 Max, where you can change display resolution and it's instant. No, yeah. no fade to black, no recalculation of things. Um, it's just an instant operation of just changing display resolutions. Plugging and unplugging displays is very similar. Um, and as I mentioned before, like when the cat walks over 
that part of my table and that jostles the display connector ever so slightly, the display turns off. All my windows flash onto the other three displays, and then the display comes back and all the windows flash back. Every now and then the windows rotate, and the ones that were on the right end up in the middle, and the ones that were on the left, <laughs> like, it's a little kooky, and I'm not sure um, that I'm happy with it, but it happens so quickly that, like, I have to... You're not waiting weren't, five to... Weren't these windows over there? Like, I didn't see it happen, <laughs> if that makes any right. sense. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on Intel Max, you'd be waiting five, ten seconds just for it to flash a couple times and come back, so... Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and like, the more displays you have, the more times it flashes... And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, oh no, it's going for another flash again. And then you're like really waiting for everything to figure out where it wanted to be. Um, and that was like a nightmare. But mm-hmm. because Apple rewrote that significant portion of the operating system, the Windows server, the things that shows you Windows, um, that is something that is much faster now that it's on hardware that can take advantage of it. However, on hardware that can't, it's even worse than it was. So like... I get it. There's a, a lot of trade-offs that happen. Coding becomes easier the more abstractions you have. Um, but at a certain point, your abstractions are built on abstractions, are built on abstractions. And there's slowdowns and unoptimized pieces at every level here um, that, yes, on a new computer, everything will be fast and smooth. But imagine what we were running on computers 20 years ago. Like the mm-hmm. mouse input is still faster on those computers. Because guess what? The mouse is not rendered by the operating system. The mouse is rendered by the mouse. The mouse actually has hardware in the computer to put a mouse on screen based on where the mouse physically is telling it to move the signals to. So that is just a faster thing. Like, you're never going to be faster than that. Right. And meanwhile, our our now software-driven mice have gone slower and slower and slower. <laughs> which, yeah. It's I'm heated. <laughs> I can this. tell. No, but it's true. I mean, even sometimes I'll notice like my trackpad doesn't want to like click fast enough. I don't know. It's like a weird thing where it like almost feels heavy to click because the rest of the computer was lagging. Yeah, because the computer has to tell the trackpad, hey, make it seem like you clicked. Right. Yes, exactly. I haven't experienced Like it doesn't have a clicker in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So trade-offs. Yeah. Bunches of trade-offs for sure. So learn about how you can make your code better and don't skip on those improvements, especially as you gain more experience. Again, if you're just starting out, it's not super important to concentrate on this. Instead, learn how to be good at problem solving because that is going to help you far more uh, in coding than anything else. But once you learn that, start learning how to be more efficient at what you do. Like it's going to become automatic at a certain point. Like, factorizing variables and making things as pleasant to read as it is to actually run like code that is easy for you to understand guess what you're the slowest processor that exists so if you can understand it in uh in an easy way chances are the compiler can understand it pretty much just as well um and it's going to be easier on it than something that was super obtuse but if you need to make something super obtuse to eke out that extra performance document it and make it super obtuse because that's going to that's going to benefit everyone especially if other people are building on what you're building um so sage advice 
This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's Hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors, no. It has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make a decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another option are bun away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y on the App Store today to give it a try. So now that we're done with our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yes. So last week, our question asked uh, how you can make a Swift enum available in Objective-C, and we have a winner who is Vladislav Prusikov, uh, who suggested giving the enum a raw value of int or uint uh, and marking it with at obj-c, which is absolutely correct. Um, there's an alternative if you wanted. Uh, you could declare your enum in Objective-C first, uh, or rather in Objective-C as opposed to Swift, with ns uh, underscore enum instead, which will ultimately make the enum available in, in both languages. Uh, so this week we have a Swift async question for you. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, of course, you can put, check the podcast art uh, or the show notes to follow along. So the question is, uh, here we have an async method that loads an image and loads metadata separately, uh, and then ultimately presenting them as a single unit. How can you make sure that both load methods run concurrently? So thank you, Spencer. I'm really excited to use more async await code now that it actually landed um, with uh, backporting capabilities. So if you mm. download Xcode 13.2, I believe, uh, you can run it as far back as iOS 13 and macOS 10.15, uh, which is Catalina. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be exciting take, making use of this in your own code um, and seeing how you can get rid of a lot of dispatch queue stuff. Love that they backported it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So it's not available for like URL session and all the foundation stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I think um, John Sandell uh, wrote an article recently where he basically rewrote the async await methods that URL session essentially vends um, and like basically explains how you can basically do this for anything that takes closures regularly. Um, so nice. if you wanted to use any of the new async await stuff that is now available, uh, you can basically write a little shim library that makes it available to all the older stuff and start using it today. Sweet. So if you think you can complete the code, uh, tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's really your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, on Twitter for joining me this week. 
My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.